Greetings, it is your good host. I would like to apologize for the janky audio I provided in this episode. I fixed the problem since then. Unfortunately, it's still jankier, and we didn't have time to fix it. Hello everyone, and welcome to In the Finest Hour, a 40k competitive podcast teaching you tips and strategies you can use in about an hour. I am your host, Sean Morgan, sometimes known as Abuse Puppy, and I have with me on our left-hand side our good podcast host, Shaylin Allen-West. Greetings. And on our right-hand side, the evil podcast host, Ben Jurek. Still evil. Still here, Sean. I know. But I have a question. When are when are you going to introduce the evil podcast host first? He never does. Can we put evil ahead of good? Is that something that we as a society can approach? Why are you asking that question? Uh, I just like asking long-winded, important-sounding philosophical questions with no answer. Uh, and speaking of, I have another one of those. Mm-hmm. Should we be adjusting the terrain rules yet? Because this is uh, something, Ben, you, you brought up to me earlier, and I think is kind of an interesting conundrum, especially in light of the fact that GW is apparently about to adjust the terrain rules. Um, but uh, I, I guess there's some dissatisfaction with a lot of people in terms of how the obscuring keyword works. Yeah, I'm, I'm finding this to be a topic of conversation in multiple groups I'm in, including my own team's chat. Um, and it's coming down to basically there are certain terrain pieces that do not play well to the rules as written for um, specifically obscuring terrain, and that's we're focusing on obscuring terrain completely here, uh, versus um, the rules as intended. Uh, and in reference to this, we're talking about the big GW pieces with lots of windows and lots of see-through pieces. Um, it. The argument is uh, that when you're in that building's footprint or that invisible triangle it makes, um, you know, things can see you uh, and you mm-hmm. can see them. And it kind of makes that terrain almost unusable compared to other pieces of terrain in, on the market that people are using at their game stores and such or people who modeled their um, their ruins differently. So they're, you're finding that those terrain pieces are almost useless, and you have to like avoid going in them, but like skirt being around them, and that's kind of against the spirit of the rule of, like, okay, we want to be in the terrain and using the objectives and whatnot. So yeah. there's, it started a big conversation in, in a couple of groups. It's, I find that an interesting argument because, like, there, there is this contention that, like, it makes the terrain piece useless. And it's like, well, no, it doesn't. It still blocks line of sight, just not if you're inside it. And just because you're not inside it doesn't mean it's useless. Still grants cover if you're inside it, dude. Sure. As someone that doesn't like to issue criticism without offering a fix, um, mm-hmm. the, the idea to the fix is if you are within a certain distance of the wall... Um, it would do that. It would, you know, turn off all effects for it, including line of sight. So, like, if you're standing next to the window, yeah, that guy can see you, can shoot you. Um, but if you're, like, two inches in, no, they can't see you, which 
it, hmm. as far as like a real world feel or how you would expect something to work, that that seems somewhat reasonable. Yeah, I guess I feel like that is not actually all that different from the the current rules. Um, it just sort of gives you more places you can stand, but does not actually like really change what the thing does any because now you have the argument that is exactly like the other argument that is you know well a terrain piece is useless because you can't get within two inches of any part of it so i i i don't know i guess that does not feel like much of a fix to me it just it seems like a a somewhat arbitrary change yeah my uh i know the guys over at signals were talking about it and they offered that tip um, yeah. as, their, as their way of like be, of being like okay this this is a little little hanky in some places and i didn't really experience the issue because i don't have that many pieces of that terrain on my local table on um, the table is mm. at home um so i i hardly noticed it as an issue but when someone brought it up as like yeah this is an issue we we can't like we have to avoid these giant almost you know 10 by 10 squares that we or triangles essentially that we can't come close to like we can't even set, set foot near it or get near an objective even though we're still what would be behind line of sight in most cases and especially in eighth edition so i think some of it is the is the like oh god things have changed and i don't like it reaction yeah. and some of it's reasonable i can see it with like the super big like three-story pieces of uh of the gw train sure so i have a, a question here Maybe they've assigned the wrong keyword to it, and maybe what they need to do is try a different keyword set. Uh, that's part of the terrain rules, and the spirit of them is if obscuring physically doesn't work with these, like, terrain pieces, pick a different keyword, guys. I think they're kind of kosher with everything, except with the how the footprint is, is uh, put on the table and yeah. how units interact with that footprint. I think everything else is kosher. Yeah. And I will also throw out that I've played with awkward terrain in all editions. Yeah. <laughs> and this edition's so new, I kind of feel it's a little unfair to be complaining about this one thing. I think this edition actually having terrain rules is, you know, a thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Here is a secret from someone who has played a lot of editions of this game, including editions with abstract terrain rules. They're always going to be awkward. There's always going to be weird corner cases. There's always going to be stuff that doesn't, quote, make sense um, about how the terrain affects the game. Um, so just sort of, like, be prepared to deal with that to a certain degree. Now, that isn't to completely say that these complaints are baseless. Um, you know, you there are degrees of awkwardness and non-functionality and terrain. So maybe it does need some changing, but the changed version, you're also going to have complaints about, I guarantee it. Yeah. I think, uh, I think it's more just a topic of, are we at that point um, similar to eighth where do we mm. start, you know, saying first level line of sight blocking, even though that's not in the book. I think that's, yeah, I don't think we're there yet. I feel like it is fairly preemptive to be changing too much stuff, especially given the, like, you know, situation with COVID and all that, where we're just not even having really all that many tournaments. Yeah, it's not like it's ruining BAO or something. Right. Uh, but I think it's definitely a conversation to continue having going forward. Is like, is the terrain doing what we need it to for this edition to be functional? Uh, it's certainly something to keep an eye on. 
So with that, let's go ahead and transition into the main topic for this week's episode, which is transports. I don't know about you two, but I have been seeing quite a number of transports in basically all armies, both other people's and my own. Yeah, I've been seeing them. They've they've definitely taken some top spots um, in armies that aren't Space Marines, from what I've seen. Well, they've mm-hmm. dropped pot in most of them, but uh, I've I've even seen been seeing uh, some of the the Space Marine lists running transports. Not all of them, but they're, they've certainly been in there. Uh, so I think it's a good subject to hit up because transports were not very popular last edition. No, despite eighth and ninth being in many ways fairly similar. Uh, We saw a lot of them in 7th, specifically we saw a lot of rhinos with grav devastators inside them uh, that were free, um, but maybe that's not an ideal measure of whether transports were effective. Um, But 9th edition really does seem to be a maybe not transport-centric, but certainly transport-heavy edition. Uh, Would you guys agree? Yeah, I'd I definitely would agree. Um, it definitely has enabled what I've referred to as a as transport play um, being mm-hmm. relevant and uh, good versus just transports being um, primary points you're giving up during a game. Yeah. Shaylin, what do you think? I'm glad to see them, honestly. The fact that they basically couldn't exist in the ninth, in the 8th ed meta was not thrilling. Yeah. Um, I'm like, oh, here, let's just throw a bunch of units that every faction has in the garbage can for no apparent reason. Mm-hmm. And they're supposed to be kind of, like, central to a lot of factions as well. Yeah, and the other thing that I also like is it encourages smaller unit count, which encourages faster play. That's very true. So I'm actually glad to see that from a, you know, TO's perspective, if nothing else, because it's just like, you know... Nine-hour gaming days are tough. Yeah, I'm not younger. Yeah. Yep. I'll say putting down uh, six trucks instead of 60 boys is a lot easier. Yes, it is. That alone is... And it's... I mean, you'll have to put down those 60 boys eventually, presumably, but I find that the the really big difference is you're not having to move 60 boys. You're having to move six trucks, and that is a lot easier. One whole heck of a lot. Mm-hmm. So, aside from the um, uh, physical component of transports being good in that they uh, save your back from going out in the middle of the game, um, why don't we talk a little bit about the, the sorts of, like, things that make transports effective in Ninth? Um, because the core rules didn't really change how transports work at all. There were some very, very minor tweaks there, but transports in ninth are basically identical to the way they were in 8th. Uh, but it's the rest of the game that's kind of changed around them. Uh, and I think the maybe the biggest one in my experience is the change to how fast the game wants to move and wants armies to move. Yeah, and you'd be able need to be able to move your army somewhat quickly uh, especially as with like if you want to get infantry on objectives and such uh, Mm -hmm. but still protect them Um, hence the entire point of a transport in the first place like the real world point of doing so so they made that battlefield role 100 percent playable um and then there's i feel one other major rule adjustment that 
made, went transports went from um, you know second rate ideas or you know they got played definitely like wave serpents are you know yeah they were around there. but like as far as what they were intended to do um, they are the command phase has really and how primaries are scored has really really changed and brought transports to the forefront of why would you you know run a transport and how do you play them yeah. Mm-hmm. So let's kind of break these down one at a time. Uh, what, let's start off with the speed aspect, because bringing a transport to the table just almost just by virtue of it existing makes your army faster. Yes, a lot of transports have a movement of at least 10 inches. Um, mm-hmm. Some of them don't have much in the way of guns, so basically you aren't giving up a lot of firepower to advance them. Yep. And you don't have to kill things in this edition. You don't have an obligation to do so. So it's like, yeah, I could throw away a Stormbolter in exchange for moving 12 plus D6 inches. That's fine. Yep. Okay. Uh, that is just the sort of the most basic level. It's like a unit inside the transport moves as fast as the transport, which is usually fairly fast. Uh, I would even say 10 is on the low end of transports because that's yeah. like land raiders and stuff. In some cases yeah. with certain advancing units and other psychic psychic abilities, you could get your transport clear to the other side of the table. Um, and yeah. If, oh, yeah. If you're a Harlequin, that transport can go anywhere it wants to. It, honestly, if you're a Chaos Space Marine or White Scars also, they're also just sort of going wherever they feel like. Gate of Infinity on transports. Covering five or six objectives on turn one is a is a really good strategy, you guys. I just want to put that out there. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. And, and that's one of the things you'll see transport used for. But that speed can be used lots and lots of different ways. It's not just getting onto objectives. It's also moving units around to get to firing lanes um, where your opponent thought they had blocked you off. And you're like, well, I'm 22 inches over this way, so actually I can see you now. Um, or moving behind pieces of cover that your opponent is not prepared to get around, sort of using that strategy in reverse uh, is also extremely powerful. This is a, a particularly noticeable with all of these transports that have the fly keyword. Oh, yeah. yeah and uh, another thing I want to bring to people's attention here is not just speed of the transport, it's also the speed of your disembarking units, whether you're setting yeah. up a big move on your next turn or just disembarking your unit on turn one um, mm-hmm. from inside the transport. That's, that's an extra few inches. Uh, and with how yep. small oh, yeah. the board is now and how close objectives are, and especially if your opponent, like one thing I ran into is my opponent went first, he moved on to like middle objectives. Mm-hmm. I had no issue getting into a relatively easy charge range with just a simple disembark. Yeah. That literally adds three inches to your move. Yep. That is as a full three inches of free movement, which in a lot of cases can be the, the amount of distance that matters because there are lots of objectives that are just far enough away that you won't be able to get to them without advancing if you're just a basic six-inch move infantry unit. Or there are lots of secondary objectives where you'll want to move into midfield somewhere and take an action. And you can't do that if you advanced. And if you didn't advance, you often won't have enough distance unless you disembark from a transport. Because that extra three inches is, in many cases, enough to get you into the zone you need to be in without having to advance. 
In my play experience, I'm finding that extra inches is really valuable for just getting on the other side of, of a uh, of a train piece. Um, yeah. Like you're just right behind one, and you know if you were to just take your regular move, you wouldn't get past it. Well, that mm-hmm. disembark distance gives you that little push you needed. Yep. And of course, you can advance if as after you disembark as well if you really need that extra bit of distance. Uh, an Eldar unit that disembarks from a transport and then advances and then uses fire and fade can cover a lot of ground for mm-hmm. basically one command point. Yeah, anytime I see a white scar unit disembark, I know it's going to be a bad thing. Oh boy, yeah. Shay, you were going to say? I was going to comment. Another thing about transports is they're big models, and big models means big area on the table they take up so that's yes a combination of board control move blocking and you put two rhinos nose to nose you can't get past that with a wrap yeah that speed uh, since we're on the topic of speed with that um kind of like boxing your opponent into one corner of the table is mm-hmm. a really rude thing to do i would certainly never consider doing that <laughs> i'm shaking my head yeah yeah <laughs> he's evil don't listen to him. Yeah, you can definitely control your opponent's movement because negative speed is also a kind of speed. So using your yeah. transports to keep them from being able to move the way they want to move is a really big deal. Oh, yeah. And your transport's fast enough to make itself very inconvenient very quickly. Yeah. Also, uh, Shaylin mentioned that sort of, uh, you know, the size of the transport itself is an advantage. Um, which I think is something that's really easy to overlook. If you imagine, let's say a land raider, just for sort of the extreme example. Um, oh god, I have land Peter pizza in my head again. Yes. Um, so if you have that land raider sitting at a point on the table, the actual physical model is what, like, four inches by six inches or something like that? And you can disembark your guys from any point along that physical space. Whereas if the unit were sitting on the table, it, you know, even a relatively large unit is going to occupy a much smaller area of table. So the size of a transport itself gives you a certain amount of flexibility. It's like, I can disembark from the front, I can disembark from the back, I can go either way I want. Um, And that itself can buy you another, you know, three to four inches, depending on where you're needing to go. Um, And that just adds to that whole sort of free movement you're getting from the disembarking. Yeah, since we're on the topic of disembarking, um, I'd like to talk about uh, specifically moving your unit into a position and like maybe not as moving as far as you, you know, as far as it can go, but like moving into positions where if you did disembark, you're still disembarking that unit that was inside into Mm -hmm. an out of line of sight position or behind another, behind another transport. Like if you got two Rhino, if you got, you know, two land Raiders and your guys get out, well, if you put, they disembark behind the other land Raider, like you're still not going to be able to see them. Um, Yep. Mm -hmm. On on top of, you know, just disembarking into a ruin or, you know, any sort of terrain, Mm -hmm. like, uh, you're like, oh, well, you, you thought you were going to, you know, open me up and, you know, kill everything inside, but you're just going to get the, my, my cheap transport. I'm sorry. Yep. That's another thing. A lot of transports come in, uh, the, a cheap variety usually. Yes. That's actually key to the, basically the good transports this edition, uh, because not all of them are great. Some of them, the land raider that we've been talking about is 
you're probably not actually going to see a land raider on the table still. Um, but good transports tend to be cheap and durable, um, which is a really important facet. And before we get on to talking that too much anymore, I want to just call out a stratagem that a lot of people forget about, but is actually very big. Uh, it's one of the core rulebook stratagems. Uh, allows you to mm-hmm. disembark up to six inches when your transport is destroyed for, I want to say, one CP. That's emergency disembarkation. Am I remembering that right? Yeah, it's just one CP. I believe that's one CP. Yeah, one CP to disembark six inches when your transport is destroyed. You also can, like, pass through enemy models, but that is not really what you're typically using that stratagem for. Um, You're using it for three free inches of movement. Um, We were already talking about how good three free inches is. How would you like three more for one CP? Uh, That's a deal most players are going to be willing to take in a lot of cases, because one CP for three inches of movement, pretty good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's six inches... It makes a makes a pretty big difference in this, and there's there's some drawback to it. But the moving over enemy models yeah. is also just as important because you don't want to get wrapped and have your uh, transport completely blow up and lose everybody inside because you can't place those models. Right. Um, the the nominally the point of that stratagem is to prevent your transport from getting wrapped and killing all the guys, but you don't have to use it for that. You can use it for all sorts of things. Uh, and I've mm-hmm. seen a lot of top-end players using it for that ex- those extra inches of movement. In a game of limited turns and limited space, movement is important. Yeah, yep. as, I, as I discussed earlier, like, you know, dis- that Disembark 3 I already was using for a very, you know, cagey play. Uh, Disembark 6... Even more useful. In fact, you know, yeah. you can you can steal an objective. You can steal and flip an objective with that uh, when played properly. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So let's move on to sort of the the second big thing that transports provide, which is protection. Because it's really great to have fast moving units, but if those units are dead, then it it kind of doesn't matter how fast they are. The onion. Well, we'll hit that one up in a second, because I think that's sort of a, a combination here. But just as as Shailen and Ben have already mentioned, you can be out of line of sight by virtue of transports being big, boxy things, uh, because most infantry models are shorter than a transport. Um, mm-hmm. Works particularly well with Imperial transports, because they are literally just boxes. Um, big boxes but also of course being inside a transport is a very good way to protect units especially fragile units like those those poor little t35 up guys yeah it's a it's much easier also to hide those transports you're just trying to protect the transport so yeah um, i'll tell you there are some models out there that can store 20 plus units or 20 plus models that mm-hmm. take up way less uh footprint than the transport does Yep. So that transport being behind some obscuring terrain, like it's pretty easy to qualify to be hidden behind obscuring terrain. So that that's definitely a huge nod toward transports for this edition. Yeah. Um, the other thing about transports that's kind of fantastic is, and I've said this so many times, if it's not on the board, you can't interact with it. And if it's inside a transport, it's not on the board. Yes. Uh, that You can't shoot at the fragile unit in a transport. Yeah, that level of absolute protection you have by being inside a transport is very valuable, because being out of line of sight is cool, 
there are a lot of indirect guns in this game that will shoot you anyways. Being a character, super cool, protects you most of the time until your enemy has a sniper rifle and then it doesn't. And you might think you are the cleverest guy on Earth by having a character who is out of line of sight, and those space marines are still going to shoot you. Yeah, and um, not, I always breathe a big sigh of relief when my opponent enters their assault phase and I don't have any transports popped. Because um, I know that everything, yeah. everything inside my transports now is 100% safe. Uh, they, You can't declare a charge on units that aren't there. Yep. And in fact, I, I think we need to go into that one a little bit deeper and talk about this whole onion thing that we've kind of glanced off of a couple times here already. Uh, but first, let's take a quick break with the Quartermaster, get ourselves refueled and rearmed, and then we will come back again and talk about onions. Greetings. We would like to tell you about Fate and Fury Games up in Vancouver, Washington. They are a great FLGS for those interested in Warhammer and other nerdy pursuits. If you are a small business during COVID, we are offering free advertising to you. You can hit us up at inthefinesthour at gmail.com or on Facebook, and we'll arrange the advertising. So, Ben, you were saying you just absolutely love peeling onions, which I thought was a very strange sentiment. Yeah, normally when you peel onions, it causes a lot of tears. People don't really like it. It's uncomfortable. But that's actually been my experience with Ninth as well. A lot of, a lot of people crying about peeling an onion. Yeah, it's a with transport play, you have to do what we're referring to as peeling an onion, which is to flip an objective or shoot someone off of something, especially if they're across the table from you, you have to go through that entire process of all of those units. So you have to mm -hmm. first have to kill the transport and then you have to kill the dudes inside. And then the dude and then whatever's behind the dudes inside, if they brought a character. Like yep. it, and a lot of times there's actually a bunch of points of failure with that. As we talked about earlier with disembarking with in terrain and such, it's kind of a losing battle that you're not gonna be able to move them off of that objective. Mm -hmm. um, so that's mm -hmm. why you do it is because your opponent really can't move you off the objective versus if you just ran 10 guardsmen over there or whatever. So, yeah. um, and if you just set this up in multiple spots, so a lot of these armies that are taking advantage of transports are taking advantage of transports in mass. Um, they're mm -hmm. not just bringing one or whichever they're bringing a bunch of transports. So they run all over the board with all these little onions. Um, and you have to kind of pick and choose on a, can you, can you actually achieve the goal and B, um, you know, if I can achieve it, like, you know, where am I focusing? And then what about the other onions that I'm leaving alive? So yes. it, it becomes this process on a very short turn game or short time game that you damned if you do, damned if you don't. And that's where you want your opponent to be. 
Um, yes. And especially when you are having to invest a lot of resources into killing these fairly low value units. Because um, the transport is not really very threatening in and of itself. So if you're spending all of your effort killing these wacky little tanks that all they do is run around the board and hop onto objectives, your opponent's still getting to shoot you with all of your guns because you're not degrading their firepower any. And let's say you, you do disembark, you know, and you leave that, that truck or whichever um, to go do its own thing. You now have a really low threat unit that is still accomplishing secondaries, that is still maybe mm-hmm. even doing primaries for you that, like... They, they now have to shoot that and do something about it. Uh, yep. Meanwhile, your precious cargo that has disembarked is overdoing their own thing. And once again, forcing, uh, you know, choices that aren't always uh, optimal, optimal for your opponent. So yeah. transports are kind of transports allow you to make your opponent play your game, especially if you play them correctly. Yeah. And I know something that Shaylin is, um, we'll say, exceedingly familiar with is they make you interact with the transport in multiple phases. Um, because you can't... You often can't just kill it in one phase. Transports usually have uh, over 10 wounds. Yeah. Um, which means that that's at least 10 bullets. They generally are tougher than the advanced troops, so you're looking at 3-up saves, 4-up saves on certain types, mm-hmm. and that's a lot of chewing through, and they're tough. They have higher toughness values, so, like, your basic guns ain't gonna cut that. Right. And, uh, as Ben kind of alluded to earlier, um, if your opponent goes into the assault phase and you have a transport with a unit inside on top of an objective, they're not going to take that objective from you. Because they can't kill that unit. They're not legally allowed to declare a charge on it, which means they won't get to attack it, which means they won't get to do any damage to it. So even if they charge that transport and kill it, you will disembark onto the objective, and the objective's yours. And it doesn't matter what they do. And it's yours at the start of your command phase. Even better. Yep. And the armies that really only truly interact meaningfully in the assault phase, um, like if you're playing like a pure blood angels list or people mm-hmm. that are like tuning their white scars list or whichever, you know, two very popular uh, armies in the meta right now. Yeah. Uh, they, you know, if you put all your stuff in transports and line it up, they're they're not going to be able to move you. Like they're not going to completely wipe your army out like they could before. Um, yeah. So please consider doing that, or you know, just using the, your uh, your transports as more of a living wall between you because they're not going to be shooting you. You're like, oh, no, you've got to go through that transport layer first. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, six inches away from my troops that are back here. And that's are three inches away from the character back here. Um, so you got to make them to go through all those stages to try and get to you. Yeah. And you can absolutely use those transports to, to screen them out because you don't even have to put the transport like butt to butt. You just need to make it so there's a sufficiently small gap that the enemy can't fit in between them. Yes. Half-inch gap. There's no bottle in the game that fits in a half-inch gap. And it's actually... uh, It it can be even more uh, awkward than that um, because of the new rules on multi-charging. So you can set it up so that, like, okay, you can't pass between these two models because... 
you didn't charge them, thus you can't get within range of them, but also you're not going to be able to charge such that you end close enough to everything you want to be. So you can really stick them so it's like, yeah, you're close enough to charge my units, but there is no legal movement path which allows you to actually charge my units. On top of that, they still need to leave a bunch of models behind. They can't just choose to ignore like you could before. Yep. Like, oh, I declared charge only these three things. I'm going to ignore these two and get the thing I wanted. Um, yeah. But it still allows me to do movement. No, you you have to leave units there now. And with the new cohesion rules, good luck. Yeah, you're mm-hmm. not going to be able to string out to, you know, hit two transports and a unit behind them. That's it's just not happening. Mm-hmm. Speaking of cheap and durable things, on the reverse side, uh-huh. I really love running my transport into a group of 30 infantry. Oh, boy. That... Okay, let's 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 put this question to our hosts here. Which is more fun? Crashing your transport into a group of say 30 boys or 30 guardsmen where you know they're going to spend several turns just bonking their heads into it, which that's great obviously. Or crashing your transport into a big gun tank with a blast cannon on top and just mashing your face directly into it so it can't fire its main weapon. I'm going to say the blast tank. Screw that thing. Okay. All right. I'm going to say trick question. Uh-huh. I'm going to I'm going to charge into the uh, into the into the boys and I'm going to consolidate uh... into the battle wagon. You 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 choose the secret C all of the above option. That's a smart player right there. Yeah, transports can absolutely ruin the day of a lot of units, uh, especially now that fly doesn't let you fall back anymore. So there's so many things in the game you can tap with a transport. And maybe they still get to shoot. Maybe they're a monster or a vehicle that gets to blast away at you. But you've gotten to choose what that sh- unit shoots at, not your opponent. And if there's one thing we have emphasized repeatedly over this podcast, it's that you getting to make choices for your opponent is an incredibly powerful tool. Also, just negating, using it to negate Overwatch in most situations. Yeah. It's just... Or just, oh, those guys have a lot of flamers, and mm-hmm. yeah, that would do a lot of damage if they chose to Overwatch. Uh, I'm just going to run one of my transports into it. Forget it. Yep. Uh, yeah, no, no, rhino tanking was a thing. Yeah, all that stuff you could do in 8th still works in ninth in terms of just grinding transports into people. It's just more effective now. Yeah, we. well, I mean, people are actually doing it now because there's transports right. on the table. It's like, well, what do I do with this thing now? Yes. Like, I'm protecting my units. What else does it do? <laughs> uh-huh. It charges the Chow Garland and causes problems. Yeah, it can. It really can cause a lot of issues for a lot of armies. Um, not just because it's turning off, like, shooting or, or whatnot, but pinning units in place by charging them is also really big. Um, mm-hmm. because, you know, if you charge someone and they decide to fall back, which they, of course, they can, they, if they're willing to give that up, uh, but they can't advance if they do that. And against an army like uh, Imperial Guard or Eldar that relies heavily on advancing to get their units where they want to be, that can actually be a massive detriment. Uh, if you've ever seen a squad of guardsmen fly 24 inches across the table because of move, 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 denying them that ability to advance 
is tremendous because, you know, instead of 24, they're moving six. That's a pretty big change. Well, it's only 400%. Oh, yeah, that's practically nothing. Yeah. No, no real effect on the game there at all. I wouldn't worry about it. <laughs> Uh, another thing is because they're really, really big. Um, is uh, a thing I've done is I've ran my transports when I rarely take them. Mm-hmm. Um, is I've ran them over to basically be like, well, here you can't deep strike here because I've got this yep. inconvenient rhino. Yeah, transports they do count as a unit. Yeah, let's uh, let's talk about a a, tra- a keyword that really only exists with transports, and let's talk about open top for a second. Oh boy, yeah. That's such a good roll, this edition. Yes, it is. Uh, This is the sort of generic rule that is not technically generic. There are a few different versions of it uh, that various Orc, Dark Eldar, and a handful of other transports have, allowing the guys inside to shoot out the top. Yeah, and you, specifically in stuff where you get to measure from anywhere on that either model's base or hull, uh, mm-hmm. makes makes line of sight on something that would be super awkward now very easy. Uh, that's yeah. one of the big benefits to it. But on top of that, like if you just have effective infantry with really good guns, um, you once again you're adding that toughness piece to it. Uh, yeah. And that, dur- and that and that durability of okay, my guys are protected and they're still shooting you and still doing everything I need to do. Yeah, that kind of combines like a lot of these aspects that we're talking about, where it's like the footprint of the vehicle combined with the protection that it offers, uh, combined with these layers, provide your opponent with a very difficult, like, well, I want to get rid of those 20 Ludas, but I can't. Yeah, and the, like, the range of guns on that, for example, it really does extend the range of the guns by a whole bunch because you're not yeah. having like stat guys behind bases anymore, the movement of the vehicle, everything mm-hmm. else. So like you actually get a fairly good extension. Um, and 24-inch guns used to be like kind of a, a nasty spot to be in in 8th edition. Uh, yeah. where with the smaller spot on the table and the faster moving, um, 24 inches isn't, isn't terrible anymore. So no, it's mo- uh, fairly sufficient for most things. Yeah, so that that was kind of that's kind of a, a big change that I've noticed as far as like open top vehicles working. And you know, one of my one of the open top vehicles I'm most scared of is to, is a Harlequin is a Harlequin vehicle full of a bunch of fusion pistols. That, yeah, that's absolutely nuts. Let's let's go ahead and touch on some of these uh, specific vehicles that we're seeing a lot of. And, you know, just just give a quick sort of talk about, like, what it is about them that makes them so good. You mentioned the Star Weaver, the Harlequin transports. Yeah, I, I, I like to call it the clown car in passing. It is. Uh, this is the update to the, the clown car, the original clown car, of course, being the uh, Falcon with hollow fields from 4th edition. But Neo clown cars, still pretty cool. So, Sean, you're the, you're the space elf player here. What makes them good? Oh... Uh, well, minus one to hit, four up invuln, and as you mentioned, the open top, uh, combined with just the ridiculous movement value that almost all of the Eldari vehicles get. Um, also fly, so they ignore terrain whenever that's inconvenient? Yes. And along those same lines, the Wave Serpent, still very good. Still has that huge movement, still has fly... Uh, doesn't have the same sort of built-in uh, penalties and bonuses that uh, 
the Harlequin vehicles do, uh, but minus one damage combined with just a higher overall stat line still ends up making it extremely annoying to remove, and it also can carry good guns, just as sort of like a side benefit. It has assault weapons too, so like even when it is in combat, it's still blasting away. Yep. Uh, Shaylin, are there any kind of standouts that you've seen, either from your faction or others? So, I'm going to bring up the Rhino, mostly because there's a lot of things that are built off the concept of the Rhino, so it's a very common subtype. Um, Rhinos are... they move 12 inches, they have 10 wounds, they have 3 of armor, they're T7, this is... and they have a capacity of 10. Mm -hmm. So, they're... that's kind of the basic transport in the game and they're also one of the cheaper things so because they're cheap they work yeah and they they have a lot of small features on them that end up being surprisingly good they can respawn some health on a six yep and smoke launchers minus one to hit even if for only one turn of the game is a pretty useful ability to have, especially you just you roll onto some objectives turn one, you pop smoke. It's going to be pretty annoying to remove you. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is, uh, this is a thing I was referring to. They don't have a lot of firepower, so you don't lose a lot by advancing them. Yes, they have a storm bolter. Uh, although uh, the chaos versions can mount a combi weapon, either a combi bolter or combi melter or plasma or whatnot. Um, and having that, like, minimum level of firepower that it's enough to be dangerous, but not enough that, like, it makes them a huge threat, I've found is actually surprisingly useful. Because just, like, that one six-damage melt-a-gun kind of rolling around the field, just like, hey, don't let any characters get too close to me, or else they might have a bad day. <laughs> yep. Um... That's a thing. The other thing uh, is you can put hunter-killers on the rhinos, sure. which are kind of a similar thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can take a Razorback, which has a bigger gun. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of the Razorback, unfortunately. It falls into the wrong combination of a bit too expensive. Um, while you you mentioned like that, like when you advance a transport, you don't really lose anything because it mostly has no guns. The Razorback does not benefit from that, unfortunately. Um, but I'm commenting about it in the sense of it is a rhino variant, sure. so it is important to know exists. Yeah. Uh, ben, are there any others that uh, you have some experience with that you'd like to make a call out for? I'm going to call out my two favorite T8 models um, that are transports. Mm-hmm. Uh, first, I'm going to call the Honorable Battle Wagon. Um, yeah. Can't, can't forget my own faction here. Yep. Uh, battle wagons in this edition um, are absolutely nuts. They actually fill multiple roles, and a lot of orc lists are actually running, you know, one to two of them at this point. Um, mm-hmm. You can. Everybody's taking the custom job where you give it a three up armor save and a five up invuln. Uh, and majority of people outside the gun wagon are taking. You're going to see them uh, boost at the T8 instead of just being the T7 open topped model. Um, hmm. And that T8 16 wound monstrosity with the Defrola attachment, which gives it um, seven attacks at strength eight, neg two, two damage. It's that's a transport. It still hauls yeah. twenty units. It's yeah, stupid. That thing's gross. <laughs> Transports <laughs> so, that can present a real threat in addition to the unit 
can be pretty scary. That's kind of what makes the Wave Serpent good, and it's what makes the Battle Wagon good also. Yeah, when someone takes my takes that transport, I don't quite care. Yeah. Um, Bunch of Primaris Marines run into that thing and have a bad day. Yeah, it's there it's it's an outstanding transport um and it the fact that they're good now um is a lot of fun i'm i've been playing with a one to two of them uh, in the majority of my lists they uh orcs also have a special stratagem that combos with that that allows their units to actually take melee strikes against stuff they're in combat with so that's yeah. kind of a hilarious thing um and then my second favorite t8 model is the terex uh it's the terex drill oh boy um, yeah forge world that thing oh, yeah. That thing's crazy. Yeah. Uh, also, T8, available to add Mac as well as Chaos and regular Space Marines. So a lot of people can take it. Uh, a contaminated one is disgusting. Yep. Like, don't. It, they're, they're, and they they also pack a punch, just like the Battle Wagon. Like, they, if he yeah. gets in combat, it's going to screw crap up. Like, it's not, and, it's no joke. And not even just combat, too. It's got a melt-a-gun on the front of it. That is also like a super mega thunder hammer when you're in melee combat. Um, so it's this reasonably inexpensive. They're not exactly cheap, I wouldn't say, but they're a lot cheaper than you'd expect that carries a unit, lets the unit reserve for no CP cost, also a huge deal, and mm-hmm. then brings good shooting and good melee. Yeah, That's a bargain. Favorite. My favorite use of them has been uh, in specifically in Death Guard with Plague Marines uh, and just oh, comboing yeah. off with, with them coming out, Plague Marines, the Plague Marine grenade stratagem. Like, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's gross. It's absolutely gross. It's, you don't want to see that in the other, on the other side of the table. Yeah. But, like, all of the factions who can use it take great advantage of it. Uh, I've I've seen it in Admech, Space Marine, Chaos Space Marine, Death Guard. Just every list that is able to take it can do something. Well, the one last one that I think uh, is I'd like to mention, since Ben is apparently not going to talk about them, um, is the truck and its sort of uh, compatriots, the the Goliath truck and similar. Just very cheap, flimsy as heck, but fast and carrying around some cheap and threatening guys inside um mm-hmm. gene Steeler colt may not be great but you know like six goliath trucks and nine ridge runners sitting behind them is actually really inconvenient for a lot of armies uh and the and orcs run that same sort of thing just replacing goliath trucks with badly spelled trucks and Correctly ridge runners trucks thank you yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll debate the correctness of orc spelling at a later date. Um, but the, you know, you replace those ridge runners with all of the, the wacky orc, uh, buggy type vehicles, and you have essentially the same list. Oh, the, uh, the spam ridge runner list is no, I'm no stranger to that. That list is actually yeah. super good. Um, no one really has that, that, that model, uh, collection too often, <laughs> so you don't see it, but like, a bunch of orc players, like, oh, how many random trucks do you have litting, saying, sitting on your shelf somewhere? Well, it's going to be answer going to be like you know three to four because they're like in every base set forever. Um, yeah. So it's it's not hard to find a bunch of extra trucks and like it's the models that orc players have, and I'm I'm happy mm-hmm. that like models that you know that are have been in existence and just sitting on shelves forever are seeing play now. 
Yeah, yeah, that is one of the nicest aspects of this whole thing. Uh, I know, Shaylin, you talked about this a little bit. Is just like people are getting to bring out things that they didn't get to use for a while. Yeah, transports have been somewhat irrelevant for a couple of editions now, so it's nice to see them out and actually seeing play and being relevant. So yeah, if you've if you've got some transports for your army, almost every army your transport is somewhere between decent and great, depending on exactly which faction you are. Uh, there's, oh, there's a little bit of variability, but... I just had a... Rem- I remembered what I was going to talk about. Oh, go ahead. Um, this... Uh, a lot of transports uh, qualify as psychic power targets. Um, yeah. So you can really shove them up with a warp time. You can Gate of Infinity Grey Knight transports, which is always hilarious to watch your opponent bug out at. Yep. So, because of how psychic powers are worded, that is definitely a facet. So, if you run an army with psychic powers, like, see what how you can help your transports with them. Psychic powers are, are definitely one that uh, qualifies there, but even more broadly than that, uh, stratagems as well. Many stratagems just refer to a faction keyword, or usually a sub-faction keyword, um, and your transports will often qualify for those. Um, sometimes that may be more useful than others. Um, you know, rerolling failed wounds with your transport is not all that exciting, um, but there are lots of other stratagems that maybe give you extra movement, extra resilience, or something like that, that can actually be very valuable to apply to a transport. So don't sleep on being able to use all of your stuff on these vehicles. Yeah. Ben, did you have anything you want to kind of wrap this whole dealio up with here? With the exception of Tyranids, you likely have access to a transport, um, and I would probably consider trying some lists with them if you haven't already, mm-hmm. or at least make yourself aware of how other armies are going to play transports, because you're going to see them. Um, it's yeah. not a well, you might see this at some tournaments, or you know you might run into this. This is a this is a definite. You're going to see some people playing armies that are very transport heavy if they weren't already. So, I mean, Venom. There's no. We weren't any stranger to Venom spam before, but mm-hmm. Venom spam is still good and now even better uh, with the fact that tra- transport play itself is its own thing. Um, so, make yourself yeah. aware of it. Be familiar with how they play. Understand how to peel an onion. Understand how you would play them yourself, and you might be able to actually outplay your opponent uh, and have them play into your hand with their transports. Yeah, because yes. there's definitely ways you can take advantage of these strategies to, to sort of defeat them if your opponent is trying to, say, hide a bunch of infantry behind a uh, a ruin because they think they're going to get clever there. And you're just like, well, I actually positioned this unit over here, so as long as I pick the right order of shooting, I'm still going to kill off that unit. Uh, or, you know, yeah, sure. Or my you- personal favorite. You can't run your rhino over here. It can't run over my guys. Sure. Uh, You can block a transport the same as a transport can block other units. And I think a a really key takeaway from all of this is we're talking a lot about, you know, this is a transport edition. Transport's going to be good. That's absolutely true, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to see every army fielding four to eight transports. You're going to see a lot of armies fielding one or two or three transports, uh, just because it it's more valuable to have that option, but 
you you can avoid the problems that come with focusing entirely on a given strategy. So don't be afraid to throw a couple of transports into a list as opposed to like going out and buying six rhinos right now because we said they were great. Well, rhinos don't have a lot of firepower, and if you want to peel an onion, you kind of need some firepower. Yes, you do. Practice in moderation is what is, is yeah. always the advice there. Though I wouldn't feel bad if someone went out and bought six chimeras right now. Um, I, They're I good. know they wouldn't complain about them being bad. Yes, the the chimera is a great little kind of hybrid transport like that. You you know your guard chances are pretty good that any given one of your vehicles are going to be at least decent. And right now, the, the Chimera is an excellent example of what transports can do for you. But mm-hmm. don't feel like you have to start all of your lists there. I know that Brandon Grant and a lot of the other high-level guard players are using Chimeras, but they're not necessarily just running Chimeras and nothing else. Oh, absolutely not. So, hopefully this has uh, give everyone a little bit of clarity on why it is transports are good and useful this edition. Uh, we've definitely seen a huge turnaround there as, like, transports have gone from mostly kind of a waste of your time to actually pretty critical to succeeding in scoring the primary, uh, and even the secondaries in many cases. So if you think there is something that we missed, or maybe something you want to talk over or didn't understand, or maybe you just want to chat with us about a list or something, uh, you can find us on Facebook, In the Finest Hour, or uh, through email. We are in the finest hour at gmail.com. And if you'd like to have maybe a little bit more in-depth contribution, or you would like to help support the podcast, you can support us for $5 a month on Patreon, and that will get you access to our private Discord server and Facebook group, as well as some of the bonus episodes when we release those every once in a while. So thank you very much to all of our Patreons who have helped us continue producing the show. We really appreciate everything you've done for us. I'd like to thank uh, Dank Muse for the wonderful sounds he gives us podcasts, and you can find their sounds on SoundCloud, YouTube, and Spotify. I'd like to thank Ryland Woodrow for the fantastic, fabulous art that we have in our iconography and on our banners. Still being awesome. Yeah, very cool stuff. I think it's been uh, pretty popular when we've done our streams. People have gotten to see your your big banner hanging behind you in the, the game room there. I that that was an indulgence I do not regret. Mm-hmm. So I believe that wraps us up for this week. Next week we're going to be talking about improving your community, ways you can do that to try and help get the players in your area playing more 40k and playing better 40k, as well as play better games and be a better person in the community yourself. So wait, we do that? Yeah, uh, I mean sometimes not. Always, Male but... players are worse at it than female players for reasons I don't need to go into right now. <laughs> Wait, there are female 40k players? You're talking to one. <gasps> he just now noticed. <laughs> I, no one told me before. How was I to know? So, I hope you all look forward to that for In the Finest Hour. I've been Sean Morgan. Shailen Allen West. Ben Drake. Thanks for listening.